Hello, listeners. The following recording is from an invitation-only meeting held at the Exponential Conference with leaders of independent Christian churches. And just to give you a little background information on who you're going to be listening to, Bobby Harrington is the founding and senior minister at Harpeth Christian Church just outside Nashville, Tennessee, and the executive director of Discipleship.org. He is followed by Brett Andrews, who is the founding and senior minister of New Life Christian Church just outside Washington, D.C., and on the board for Passion for Planting. Next up is Jim Putman. He is the founding minister of Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho, and he is also one of the founders of the Relational Discipleship Network. And lastly is Christian Ray Flores. He is the founding minister of the tribe in Austin, Texas, along with the company Third Drive. So those are the speakers you'll be hearing from, and I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear. I want to uh, welcome you all here because uh, I believe that what we're here to talk about is super important. In fact, when I get up, I'm going to tell you why I think it's such an important deal, far more than most people will ever realize. And uh, what we're talking about is a theological network in the sense of propagating uh, biblical beliefs in service of disciple-making. And uh, my belief and my contention, and I'm not the only one, is that a sustained disciple-making movement, which we've been talking about here, a sustained disciple-making movement will only last if it's undergirded by a biblical theology that requires it. And the best home for that is going to be coming out of the heritage of the restoration movement, in my opinion, and uh, we'll explain why that's so. Before uh, I say anything further, though, I wanted to ask uh, Brett if he'll come up. Um, Brett, myself, Christian Ray, and several others, uh, you'll, uh, at, at, during our time, Brett's going to talk, I'm going to talk to Jim Putman's going to talk a little bit, and Christian Ray. Uh, we're a part of a group that uh, basically a year ago said, somebody's got to do something. And uh, so we're a part of that. So Brett, will you come up and take over? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust uh, in you, that you have have, have made us, um, that we are yours, that the church is yours, it's not ours. We trust you for that without even thinking. I pray that we could trust you for what you want the church to be in the same kind of level of trust, that we would seek your face, that we would seek your ways, that we would be under your blessing, and that... Um, that we would do all that we can to, to cooperate with you in our generation as you have called us to. For your honor, Lord, we do these things and offer this prayer through Christ. Amen. Um, we've started uh, over 100 churches this year. We hope to start, we plan to start 10 more churches. And so church planting is, has been in our, um, in our purpose from the very beginning. God's really blessed us in, in lots of ways. Um, and so th- there you have it. You can ask more questions about me if you want later. Um, here's what's more important. I like baseball. I've, I've coached baseball for a long time. My son Logan is now in his senior year varsity baseball, his last season. And it's fun to coach that level of baseball. But it also is making me reminisce about what it was like to watch him and to coach him play t-ball. Anybody remember t-ball baseball? What words would you use to describe T-ball baseball? Say them out loud. Chaos. Chaos. Okay, what else? Funny. Funny. What else? Cute. Cute. 
lost, maybe one, groping, maybe another, um, needing to learn form, maybe another, uh, go to first base is another way to do that, as opposed to third base. Um, now Logan's playing varsity baseball, and it's fun to play coach varsity baseball because they've learned they've learned their forms a lot better. The difference between t-ball and varsity isn't just ability; it's actually fundamentals. Doing things in a way, not that you're forcing them to do things this way. It's how do you play ball? It's like with any sport that works most consistently with reality. So you're not working against yourself. You're not working against your body. And we're always discovering ways to improve. So a couple of your, any baseball fans? Any Marlins fans? Okay, how many courageous people? You're going to say, this year I'm going to become a Marlins fan. The first baseman for the Marlins is Justin Bohr. Um, And so Justin, he's one of the few guys that came back. He would rather not be at the Marlins either. But anyway, Justin (laughs) came in a couple of years ago, and and we said, okay, Justin, show our varsity guys how to swing, how to hit. Justin told me he never learned how to hit until he started to play pro ball. And so he did what we've been trying to teach the kids for five years, what's called A to to C. You're you're swinging down on the ball, hitting the bottom half of the ball, give it back, spin, you get more carry with that, okay? So Justin is doing A to C, A to C, A to C. So last summer, uh, then we had a chance to meet uh, Daniel Murphy. Anyone know Daniel Murphy? Probably maybe the best hitter in Major League Baseball right now. And so somebody said to Daniel Murphy, what is the key to you having such a consistently high batting average? And he said, the, the key is, don't get out. <laughs> Who would have thought? He said, the key is actually hit fly balls, not ground balls. In professional baseball, something like, he gave us the exact statistic, something like 80% of ground balls are outs, but whatever percent of fly balls are hits, so you're hitting fly balls. And so what they've done, they've, they've I don't know how geeky you all are on baseball, but they've actually made a shift. Last year, the big deal in Major League Baseball was uh, launch angle. So you're not A to C now, it's launch angle. And then I got into this conversation with, with Daniel Murphy about, okay, but can kids really do that? Here's the thing. The forms are, we're, they're constantly learning what's the best form to use to get the best per- performance, and the idea is there's a reality out there, and the more consistently we can live with reality, you're welcome to take that home if you want, or I'll sign it and you can sell it. Anyway, um, so how, can you, how do you perform? How do you practice? How do you um, have your form in a way that is most consistently with reality that gets the best results consistently? This is, I think, one of the most important truths of the church. Who builds the who owns the church who builds the church this is a trick question okay the answer is a squirrel right yeah no god owns the church god builds the church and so the biggest question that we can always be asking is how does god build the church what does jesus want to do right now i'm convinced the most important question of leadership in a church is how do i hear god's voice about how he wants to 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 build the church right now and put myself in a place where i can be under his blessing because i'm cooperating with what he wants to do this is the vision behind i think for me anyway this is why i'm engaged in this discipleship um, mission that we have our, our heart is to do the church God's way so we can be under God's blessing. Now, I'm going to ask, I haven't heard anybody articulate this 
better and more succinctly than Jim Putnam. So I'm going to ask Jim if he would take 90 seconds to explain it from his perspective on... 90 seconds? <laughs> uh, um, well, let me say it this way. Right now we're dealing with a culture that um, is, is rewriting the rules on everything. Uh, if you have a biblical worldview, you want to go to the Bible in Genesis if you want to find out what a marriage should look like. Starts in, in the gender, right? Um, the designer created it and he said it is good. It is very good, right? You want to get something right, then go back to it is good, it is very good. We know that God created us with free will. There was a choice. We sinned. Consequences of sin is a bunch of different ways to get it wrong. You want to get it right, go back to the beginning. The same one who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve is the same one who created the church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So if you want to get the church right, you got to go back to the original, the one who created it. That's why I, I get really frustrated when people come up with new variations and new ways of doing anything instead of going back to the beginning, going back to the original. What is his church? What does that look like? When Jesus said, go make disciples, he said, teach them to obey all that I have. What? Which implies that we have his word, we have his commands, and we can actually understand his commands. We have the directions. So what I'm saying is, you want to have his church go back to his commands, his directions, do it his way, and you have the best chance of having success even in a fallen world. You want to have the best marriage? Go back to his intent. You want to have the best parenting style? Go back to his intent. You want to have the best church? Go back to his intent. Do it his way. Part of being a Christian is surrendering to how he designed the garden. The garden is that trees for looking at, not eating. We disagreed. How'd that work? Do what he said, and, and you have the best chance of succeeding. That wasn't 90 seconds. Thanks. That was close enough, though. So, does, is everybody aware that last year home runs went up in the, in the major leagues? Yes. yes. Okay, why did home runs go up? They've been doing A to C, A to C, A to C for a hundred years. But part of the reason it went up was they found a form that works more consistently with reality, and now they're finding more home runs are being hit. Now, you shouldn't do it, in, I don't think, in high school because you'll just pop up more. Um, if I can go back to what Jim just said, the way a friend of mine puts it like this. In the garden, you had God and us. God and Adam and Eve. They listened to God's voice, and it worked. Satan came along and said, you can have your own voice that you listen to. And so they said, we're not going to listen to God's voice first. We're going to listen to what a friend of mine will call human wisdom, our voice. And we get in trouble to the degree we don't listen to God's voice, we listen to our voice. What we're about in this uh, project is getting back to doing the best that we can to position ourselves underneath God's blessing because we're trying to build his church his way. Not that, You know what? We're going to get lots wrong too, but we believe that there are some core things, essential things that can really 
make a difference, put us underneath God's blessing. In the 19th century, I'm not sure where all of you are historically, but historically the Restoration Movement in the 19th century spread like wildfire, not because they were the only Christians, but they were captured by an understanding of God's character and God's church that wasn't being applied in that generation. The unity of believers based on Jesus and the Bible for the purpose of evangelism. And it's not that the Methodists were, were wrong or evil or that the Presbyterians were wrong or evil, but the Restoration Movement churches were spreading like wildfire to the, to, the, to the degree that according to J.D. Murch, if it had gone on that way into the 20th century, every church would have been a Restoration Church by middle of the 20th century. Now, of course, we got sidetracked by division. But why did the Restoration Movement grow in the, 20, in the 19th century? because there was an alignment to God's character and the way God wanted to do church that was being appreciated by that generation and applied in a way through repentance that hadn't been before. That's what we're about. Um, and, and, and what um, Bobby is going to share with you. Our desire is to create a voice for some positions right now that we think align us to be underneath God's blessing. Um, Two voices that I would give you um, specifically, and I'm going to tell you why um, first. Alan Jacobs, in his book, How to Think, I would encourage you to read it, professor at Baylor University, said he's read all of the modern books on thinking, and, he's, and basically all of them come to the same conclusion, you can't. Okay, He says all of them are kind of gloomy. They say nobody actually can think objectively and clearly because, he's, he's a little bit more optimistic, because we are all influenced by what C.S. Lewis called the draw of the inner ring. What Jonathan Haidt calls, H-A-I-D-T, the irresistible pull of an irresistible group. That when we, we don't think objectively and think what is right, we tend to think, what is that inner ring that I want to identify with? Or, as C.S. Lewis says, it's the terror of considering ourselves outside that inner ring that values that, 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 that matters so much to us. Right now, there are inner rings in, Christian, in Christendom for, for Calvinism. I'm convinced heaven's going to be filled with people who are Calvinistic. I'm not convinced that's the best way for us to put, under, or put ourselves underneath God's blessing to be evangelistic, for instance. There needs to be a voice. So there are a lot of young church planters, and we work with a lot of young, young church planters, who are looking for a voice to identify with. And it's not that they're thinking things logically and clearly and biblically. What they get caught up in is, what is the inner ring that I want to belong to? And they end up sacrificing what I think is strong biblical Christianity that can be more effective in growing the church and being evangelistic and being a unifying force. Um, they give up on that and decide, you know what, everybody's becoming Calvinist, maybe I should become Calvinist. Another issue that I think that we've all identified in this room is egalitarianism. And that goes all the way back to what is God's order in culture? What is God's order in society? How did God make the world? How did God order the family? How did God order the church? And there are strong voices out there saying all of that order is just a cultural thing. And therefore, it doesn't really matter. 
And I think Jude makes the argument for us, as well as Paul in Romans in, in 1 Corinthians 11, that, that God is a God of order and the angels didn't appreciate that and that's why they got thrown out of heaven. And Jude actually links those two. He links, he links the angels' lack of respect for God's authority and the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is not a coincidence, in my opinion, that a lack of respect for God's authority leads to a lack of respect for who we are, how do we identify who we are, and how do we identify with, with, with purity in the home and purity in the marriage and purity sexually. So, there, in a world where there's, in Christianity, I think heaven's going to be filled with people who are out egalitarian. Okay, but I also agree with Tim Keller who says there are a lot of egalitarians who can kind of hold the Bible loosely when it comes to how they deal with the theology of egalitarianism while they hold tightly on other parts. But everybody's not going to do that. In fact, everybody won't do that. And so that's why I think we need a strong voice that says, no, this is why, this is the best way to position yourself to be under God's blessing for the churches that you're starting. And you're not alone. You young church planters, where you're here, you're seeing, you're feeling the pressure. If you're going to be the, if you're going to be the cool kids in the playground, the inner ring is be egalitarian. I think that's ethnocentric, candidly, and I think that we need to be making the case for let's not be ethnocentric, let's be biblical, and God will bless that. And and we may not, we may not see results in the next year, two, five, but we will see the results in the years ahead. Here's what drives me. It, it, um, so, so I'm on the board for Exponential. Todd Wilson's um, a good friend and, of all of ours and been on is on staff with us part-time. The push for Exponential, you know, is multiply, 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 multiply. Something matters more than quantity, and that is quality. If we're multiplying churches that in 10 years, 15 years, 100 years from now, are not teaching gospel because their inner ring is not primarily what's the Bible say and we want to honor God and lift up Jesus because they're, they're too ready to go for the sake of evangelism. They rationalize. They're too ready to try to acquiesce to what the world believes. Then it's worse than not starting churches at all. And so we want what we're about, what I'm about is multiplying churches that are going to be healthy in 100 years from now um, when we're gone to the, to the best of our ability and control. So that's all I have to say about that. Thank you. The, uh, the opportunity to talk to you about the theology and why theology matters. In just a few minutes, I'm going to have uh, Christian Ray come up, uh, who's also going to bring sort of an international perspective to this conversation. Um, so I'm, I, what uh, I want you to hear is that this movement, this renewal movement around the beliefs that uh, most of you in this room uh, uh, came to faith with or were nurtured in the faith with, uh, this renewal movement is about one core value. It's one core value in two parts. It's the Lordship of Jesus which is the most important core value of all, the lordship of Jesus 
through the teaching of Scripture. And right now, uh, there are so many forces undermining the backbone to stand up for what the Bible says on uh, gender, on sexuality, and a host of other issues. And uh, we are a renewal movement that has its roots in the restoration movement, but it will be much broader than that uh, in terms of church planters, church leaders, uh, uh, trying to reach out to uh, new uh, um, to people we're not currently reaching. So uh, I want to describe just a couple of things about what we're going to try to do so that you understand some frames of reference, and then I'll, I'll jump into some of the theological underpinnings. First frame of reference is the Gospel Coalition. Many of you are familiar with the Gospel Coalition. They do great work. Can we just say that? It's fantastic. Okay? And they're able to communicate and connect with an emerging generation uh, in really good, substantive, biblical ways, except uh, their presupposition to be a writer, to be part of them, you have to be a, a five-point Calvinist. Uh, by conviction, we don't believe that that's the best way to understand the Bible. Uh, we believe um, in free will. We believe more of an Armenian point of view on the Bible. And so we believe that there needs to be sources of theology out there that are like that. From the Gospel Coalition to a systematic theology that would rival Wayne Grudem's systematic theology in terms of its popularity and influence to everyday books and articles and this kind of stuff. We want to, we, we, we're asking God to use us to provide theology and uh, biblical resources that capture the heart of a movement committed to the lordship of Jesus through scripture with, to what end? Which is my next uh, placeholder for you. The to what end is we believe that disciple making is the core mission of the church. We believe that disciple making is about helping people to come under the lordship of Jesus through scripture in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Next placeholder for you. Uh, some of you know that uh, I personally have become very close with Bill Hull. Uh, Bill Hull has probably written more on discipleship in the last 25 years uh, than anybody. Uh, some of you know Dallas Willard. So Dallas Willard invested in Bill Hull the, the last three years before Dallas Willard died. And the thing that uh, Dallas bequeathed to Bill that for the last 10 years has Bill, been Bill's dominant proclamation is the Jesus we preach and the gospel we uphold determine the disciple we get. What Bill uh, said in his book, Conversion and Discipleship, and in um, the Discipleship Gospel, is something that in the best of our Restoration Movement heritage has always been said. Jesus isn't just Savior. He's got to be Lord. And we have to build communities with backbone, to follow him as Lord. Now, if you want to quote something, uh, you can quote the following that I'm about to say. As somebody very committed to discipleship and disciple-making, a disciple-making movement will not last unless it's undergirded by a theology that requires discipleship.
And so the document that you have is a document that describes what we believe is biblical theology that requires discipleship, that represents the best uh, of the heritage. Now, the statement that you have is intended to be a positive statement. We're not trying to go out and pick fights with anybody. In fact, the only people we invited to this are people that we thought were sympathetic. Because what we want to do is we want to build something with God working through us to be an alternative to many of the voices that are out there. Uh, The focus is disciple-making, and it's biblical theology and service of disciple-making that honors God and the Lordship of Jesus. Matthew Bates is a New Testament scholar uh, that uh, uh, we've had conversations about this statement with several uh, biblical scholars our coalition includes Rick Oster, who has a Ph.D. from Princeton, taught for 40 years at Harding Graduate School. Uh, David Young, Ph.D. from Vanderbilt in New Testament. So we, we, you know, this is not just some preachers like me and Brett and uh, got me and Brett and guys like Jim Putman sitting in a corner. We, we've dialogued the big boys with this. Matthew Bates said something to me that I want to encourage you all with because I hope it's the tone that you feel when you leave here. He said, I'm really surprised by what a positive theological statement that is. We want to be known for what we're for, which is God's plan, God's plan A. And uh, naturally, there will be things that, uh, that are different, but we want to be known for what we're for. We want to honor Jesus and have a theology that undergirds a disciple-making movement that will be here 20 years from now and won't just be here, but it will be in... Moscow, and it'll be in the Philippines, and it'll be in Africa. So, Christian, if you can come up, and uh, if you will, give Christian five minutes. So, Christian is a part of our coalition, uh, one of the original signers. Christian is literally a Russian rock star. In 1994, he helped, uh, it was his song and his involvement in Boris Yeltsin's campaign that helped him to defeat communism. And uh, uh, a year later, Christian became a disciple of Jesus. And uh, Christian, uh, is, his background is from the International Churches of Christ. And I want you to hear that. We're inviting people from Churches of Christ, Christian churches, International Churches of Christ, and anywhere else where they want to join on the basis of this statement. We want to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And here's something that Christian was a part of 20 years ago, an international disciple-making movement that, yes, it had things that they've repented of, and there's still things in it they need to repent of, but there was a lot of good in it. And they actually have some things to share with the rest of us because we all are building ourselves around this belief statement. And uh, so I wanted Christian come up. He's in Austin, Texas now, led churches in Moscow and Kiev and St. Petersburg? No. And California. So I want him to take five minutes to tell why he and Deb and uh, uh, are part of this along with a guy named Douglas Jacoby. Awesome. Thanks, Bobby. Um, well, I think, you know, if, if I were to focus something that I care about in five minutes, I was part of something um, 20 years ago, and I'm continuing to be very involved in missional work internationally. Um, but it was something that was, I think, really resonated with me when Bobby reached out to me to sort of work on this document to start introducing me to some of this, 
some of the awesome guys that are part of this uh, group, is that you know we want to be um, we want to be about truth and about discipleship and about the authority of the Bible. And what I love about Bobby is that you know all of us feel uh, every Christian ever, always feels somewhere in the back of our minds, even if you're not a theologian or a leader or a scholar, that God's people should collaborate more than they do. Right? There's, it's like a universal feeling. Only few people actually do something about it, and Bobby's one of them and some of those guys here as well. Right? Um, and um, early on when I, when I became a Christian, uh, two things were happening that really were formative for me. One is I was baptized into a family that practiced real-life discipleship, Life on life, hard on hard, daily, no, no, no shortcuts. Uh, basically, journeying together uh, to to learn about Christ, and it transformed my life. Right. And the second thing that this was part of a movement where, um, you know, the 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 man who mentored me early on, he came to Russia right before the fall of the Soviet Union with seventeen uh, missionaries to plant the church. Right after that, the Soviet Union falls apart. There's tanks in the streets. Most, most missionaries turn around and leave, and these guys stay. And from those 17 people, it became 11,000 people in 16 different countries. So that's multiplying, right? Uh, and, and I was part of that, and I was able to be trained in that and lead a, a good portion of those churches. Uh, but the thing that really um, struck me as, as just, just I'm so lucky to be part of this and to be able to have that as my spiritual DNA um, a little bit more of the backstory that I promise is relevant to you here is culture. See, uh, modern culture is a shifting thing, and it, it presses against church practice, beliefs, church culture, all those things, right? Uh, um, and I grew up, I'm sort of this confused individual, that's why people can't tell what accent I have, because I grew up in Latin America, Germany, Russia, Africa, and... and um, and now the United States. This is my fourth continent, right? Uh, so I, I learned four languages before the age of nine. And, so, and the reason I tell you this is, is because I had to, when you're that young and you shift and you're moved around a lot, you're forced to, to understand the different culture that you're immersed in. And then you shift again. And, you're, and, and the reason I tell you all of this is because the Bible cuts through culture. Amen. Cuts through culture, right? So, uh, just two reference points for you. The first sermon ever preached was by Peter in Jerusalem. And it was heavy on, on biblical references and, and prophecies and Jesus being the Messiah. And at the end, there was the, the call to what? Repentance. Right? Paul, the Apostle Paul, had this very famous speech in Athens in, at the Areopagus, right? And his speech was very culturally relevant, which means he didn't use the Old Testament at all. He actually didn't even mention the name of Jesus in that, in, in that, in that, um, in that speech. But the call at the end was still the same. It was for repentance. And I think by, 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 by having culture push against truth, we... we just remove the fuel and the power of the gospel and the ability for us to multiply. And what I saw in, in Russia, what I saw in Africa, in Latin America, in many of those discipling movements is that uh, you can be in any culture. You can speak to a, a multitude, multitude of completely biblically not knowledgeable people from a completely different culture. And you lean on truth and they will become disciples and they will grow fast and they will transform, and they will go and spread the gospel in a really powerful way. If you don't do that, it all stops. There's no power in it. 
Yeah. So that, those are my five minutes or whatever it was. Isn't that good? Long it was. Isn't that good? Let's give him a hand. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Christian. Christian was speaking this morning in one of the sessions. I was just sitting there and like, oh, man, keep going. I want to I keep listening to everything you're saying. So um, what we're going to do is uh, uh, in just a second, we're going we're gonna to break and so you can get some food. I want to leave you with you may be asking yourself, like, why, Bobby Harrington, are you part of this? Right? Because I'm a part of I lead discipleship.org. I'm a part of Relational Discipleship Network. And why am I caring about this? And, and I want you to hear this. I don't think disciple making will last more than five or six years as an emphasis without a theology that requires it. I don't think the long term of RDN is going to be very healthy without a theology that undergirds it. And I believe that the most important thing about a people and a movement is what they really, truly believe. Not what they say they believe, but what they truly believe and that they have the backbone under the lordship of Jesus to be a countercultural people. I believe that God's calling forth a remnant of disciple-making people with true biblical theology. In the words of the book of Revelation, it describes about... Disciples of Jesus, they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Jesus said, this is an obscure passage in Scripture, so you, you're not familiar with it, but I am because I went to Bible college. <laughs> Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He actually didn't say, Go into all the world and plant churches in all nations. And the, the way somebody articulated it yesterday was, we go make disciples who start churches. We don't start churches who make disciples. And I think that that biblical, that capturing that truth for me is almost like the Alexander Campbell and those guys coming up with this this new understanding of the unity of believers based on Jesus and the Bible for the purpose of evangelism. It's not just unity that gets you nowhere. It's not just Bible that makes you legalistic. It's the unity of believers for the, based on Jesus for the purpose of evangelism and that gets you forward. And I, so we've repented of that and are repenting of that. And I think it's, I'm excited about what God's going to do through that. So, Christian, you want to add anything? All right. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to another Renew Church Leaders podcast. For more information and to learn how you can join us at our national gathering, please visit renew.org.